What season of the year is it? You could say, well, it's fall, it's deer season, it's football season. Maybe you could say it's hockey season or basketball season or holiday season. Really kind of depends on where your interests lie. It seems like every part of our life, every aspect has its own calendar. And indeed it does also within the church. And since today is the last Sunday of the church year, we're going to spend some time going over the church year itself, the church calendar. We're going to highlight the uniqueness of each, count, of each season as we go through each of them. We're going to change the pyramids for each season. We're going to sing a hymn from each season, and we're going to hear a text from each season. And the purpose of doing this is to remind ourselves that what we do every Sunday fits into a greater whole. And the greater that we know the whole, then we can better understand and appreciate the uniqueness of each particular Sunday. Knowing helps us understand where we are going and what the purpose of it is. And it also, in doing this, reminds us that, that we're really focused on Christ and his work in the church. Because the church calendar is divided into two halves. Um, the first half is, indeed, the, the festival half. The, the life of Jesus is what we emphasize. We have days in which we remember Christmas and Epiphany and, and Easter. The second half of the, of the church calendar is the half that focuses on the church with days like um, uh, Trinity Sunday and Reformation and All Saints Sunday. These are days in which we, we see and remember what God did in celebrating the church. And so this is our, our emphasis today. Uh, a note to those who are in the confirmation class. Um, you don't have, there isn't any sermon because the sermon is divided up over each season. So what I want you to do is on the back of your paper, write down four things that you'll learn today about the church. The church begins with Advent. The church season does. And Advent means coming. And so we're looking forward, as you would think, to the coming celebration of Christmas, right? It's a season of preparation. Um, if you recall, years ago, the color for Advent was purple, right? A color of repentance. Because it's really a penitential season. We need to remember, why is it that Christ had to come to be born for us? Was it not because of our sin? And so it's a time in which we examine ourselves. And even the church cycle enables that, right? We had worship services during the Advent season on Wednesday night as extra time to, to focus on God and his word and his promises and really to again examine our own hearts and prepare our hearts. And you'll notice that our preparation is different than the rest of the world. One of the things we go through this is you'll see that, that the church calendar is different than the world calendar. Like next Sunday is the first Sunday in Advent and we're going to be singing Advent hymns, not Christmas hymns, even though the whole world is going to be singing Christmas hymns for the next month. The focus is different. Uh, the world doesn't know the idea of preparation for Christmas to be one of repentance. The church calendar makes that very clear. But now we use a different color. We use blue as the reminder of the season. And, and blue is a royal color, reminding us of the coming birth celebration, the birth of our king in Jesus. But also it is a color of hope and, and a color of joy, a color of gladness, because the second theme of the Advent season is not only are we looking forward to the celebration of Christmas, but we're looking for the return of our Lord, who has made a promise that he's coming back. And so during this season, we also remind ourselves and prepare our hearts so that when Christ returns, we are indeed ready. How long is Christmas? The world thinks of it as 24 hours, right? It's just a single day. Well, actually, it's 12 days, you know, like the song, 12 Days of Christmas. Christmas isn't just one day, it's a season. The, the, the birth of our Lord as true man and true God 
deserves more than 24 hours. And again, we see the contrast between the secular world and the church, right? As soon as December 25th comes around, all the Christmas trees have to go down, all the decorations have changed. It seems the world is in such a rush to begin the celebration of Christmas, they get the stuff out in October, if not November, and as soon as Christmas comes, it's all put away. Not within the church. When Christmas arrives, it's 12 days, and within the church, for up to two Sundays after the Christmas, we celebrate Christmas, we're still singing Christmas hymns, you're still coming, the Advent wreath is still lit, uh, the Christmas decorations are still here, that, that we're celebrating the incarnation of our Lord. And this is really an important part of the celebration, right? Because God has taken on flesh to be saved man. And this is important for us doctrinally. In order for our salvation to be true, one had to come who was true man to save you from humanity, to die in our place. And yet he also had to be true God to pay the price for all of humanity. And what we are celebrating at Christmas, that in this person, Jesus Christ, we have one who is true God and true man who is indeed able to bring us life and salvation. And we look at the color white, reflects the radiant joy and divine glory that we see in the Christmas account. It brings to mind the army of angels that are, are singing to the shepherds in the evening. It's the holiness of this holy day that, that God would decide, decide to actually take on flesh, become part of creation for our life and for our salvation. So we rejoice at a time of Christmas. The day of Epiphany is January 6th. Jif, epiphany means showing forth. And it flows out of Christmas. We've just celebrated the birthday of Christ, of, of Jesus. But who is this that was born and placed in a manger? Well, the Epiphany season is a season in which we learn who he truly is. And it begins with that day of Epiphany, that day in which wise men from the East come and worship Jesus. It's a clear picture of who he came from. This, this reflects what the angel said, this is good news for all people that there are Gentiles worshiping at the feet of the one who was born King of the Jews. That he isn't born for one class, one group, one people, but he is born for all people. And building upon that through the rest of the Epiphany season, we see who he is as true man and true God. And it starts then with the first Sunday after Epiphany, which is Jesus' baptism. There the humanity of Christ is emphasized as, as Jesus places himself under the law and the voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son. And it's really bookend at the end of the Epiphany season where we hear that voice again say, this is my beloved son, but this time not at the waters of Jordan, but on the Mount of Transfiguration. On that day, the, the last Sunday of the Epiphany season, we are reminded that Jesus is truly God, that he is true man and true God. And the Sundays in between emphasize both. We hear his teaching and instruction about who he is as the one who has come to be a savior. He demonstrates his power in his compassion as he does miracles and performs things no one else can do. He is truly true God and true man coming to bring life and salvation. The season lasts up to seven Sundays and you'll notice the green. The green represents growth. It is a season for us to grow in understanding who Jesus is as our savior. So we now hear the text of the lesson for the day of Epiphany from Matthew chapter 2. Our mood takes an abrupt change. You had the joy of Christmas, the growth of Epiphany, now gives way to penitence. We move from green to purple, 
a color of repentance. The Lenten season is a season of preparation and repentance that lasts 40 days, not including Sundays. And the 40 days brings to mind the Old Testament, the 40 years in the wilderness, the 40 days, of not, 40 days and nights of rain. It's days of preparation and days, indeed, to recognize the problem with sin. And so our Lenten journey begins with Ash Wednesday, in which we are reminded we are dust, and to dust we shall return. We are reminded that, that we are sinners and deserve God's judgment. So 40 days is a period of preparation, of recognizing our sin and our need for a Savior. But also, it is a time in which we look to our Lord. The, the first Sunday that follows Ash Wednesday, you see Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. And we are reminded, indeed, of our temptations, but what we really see that first Sunday is our Savior go to battle with Satan. This is what he came to do, to battle Satan. And what we ultimately see is that he defeats Satan. That, that first Sunday of Lent is a precursor of what we're going to see at the end of Lent on Good Friday when Satan is defeated. That we have in our, in our favor the one who goes before us, who conquered sin and temptation and Satan himself. And all the while we recognize our sin and realize that it's upon him and him only that we are to rely. And how can we follow Jesus' Holy Week on Monday, Thursday, being arrested after he's instituted the Lord's Supper, on Friday as, as, as he's on trial and nailed to the cross? How can we follow this without getting on our knees, being knowing that we are responsible for placing him there? But even as we do that, there's an undercurrent of love that's on display. Everything that we see our Lord do during the Lenten season his battle with Satan, his arrest, his crucifixion, is done simply because he loves you. His desire to have you forgiven, his desire to win salvation so that you might be with him forever and eternity. Indeed, this is what the season is about, that recognition of our sin, but a recognition of the depth of God's love that he will not hold anything back and will even play the ultimate price to have you part of his family and his kingdom. Like Christmas, many people think of Easter as a single day. But in the church year, it's a season, uh, seven Sundays long. Uh, this is the highlight of the Christian faith. It makes sense that we wouldn't leave it for, for one day. This is what our whole faith is directed to, guided to, and hinges on. The fact that our Lord and Savior who died for us has risen. And the white reflects the highest point of the Christian joy and hope that we have. A wonderful celebration of life and salvation. The empty tomb means that the price for your life and sin has been paid in full and accepted. Now we have the promise of our very own resurrection from death to eternal life. And I mentioned that this is a celebration that lasts for seven Sundays, but actually it's a celebration that lasts throughout the year. Every Sunday we gather together, it is an Easter Sunday. Why is it that we worship on Sunday? It's the day of the resurrection. We're celebrating every time we gather together the fact that we have a living Lord who offers us life and salvation. That's why it's not counted in the 40 days of Lent. Each Sunday is a celebration of salvation that belongs to us and an anticipation that one day we will be with the Lord celebrating eternally with him. We rejoice in the joy of our Easter. The text that we hear is from Matthew 28, which is indeed the account of our Lord's resurrection. We rise.
Good morning. Good morning. Service has been a little bit different this morning, hasn't it? We got to see all the colors and, and those things, and, and I got to change my stole every week, everything, all the time. But I want to talk about the, not only the, the, the pyramids, but about what I get to wear. So, okay, I get to wear this nice white robe, but what do I have underneath this robe? Black. Black. Is that kind of a fa fashion statement? Well, what does the black represent? Darkness, sin, death, right? Yes, that's what it represents. And, and, and the pastor wears black to remind us of sin. But, you, no, because a pastor is a sinner, right? And just like you're sinners? Yes, we are all sinners. None of us do exactly what we're supposed to do. But on my shirt, you notice something's white? What? Right here, the tab, right? You know why that's white? Because as a pastor, I'm a sinner. But the one thing that's holy is what the job I get to do. What do I get to do? I get to run the church? Well, kind of, maybe. But my real job is to share God's word, right? And God's word is holy. So notice it's right next to my larynx, right next to my, my mouth. And so the thing that is pure is not me. But the thing that is pure is when I teach the word of God and I preach. And so that's what's pure, not me. And then, but I wear black underneath, but what do I wear on top of it? It's called all white. Right, you're right, white. It's an all that is white. Why do I wear this? Yes, to remind us of God, because, because of what Jesus has done for me, even though I'm a sinner on the inside, the Lord has made me holy. But you know, that's not only true about me, that's also true about you. Right? Yes. And so when you see me come out in the all, when you see the white, you're reminded that that's every one of us. We are sinners on the inside, but we've been made washed and we've made clean. We're made holy by Jesus. But not only do I wear an all, I always wear a necklace, right? And what's on the necklace? A cross. To remind, us, to remind me, that's my job, right? And to remind you that that's my job. If I'm going to talk to you, who am I going to talk about? Jesus, not myself. We're going to talk about Jesus and what he's done for us, that he died and rose. And then I also have a stole. And what this is reminds us of, did you ever see pictures of animals pulling like plows and stuff? They, they have a yoke on them. And that's what this is to remind you of, that, that they serve the farmer. And the pastor, though it may seem like you get to run to church, actually the pastor serves Jesus. The, the, the stole reminds us that the pastor has an office to serve Jesus, to tell people about Jesus, and that's my job, so that everyone knows that Jesus loves them, that he died for them, that he rose for them, so that everyone knows that they belong to him and have the promise of eternal life. And so everything that we do within the church focuses our attention on Jesus and his love for us. The, the pyramids, the symbols, even what the pastor wears. All we're here for is to hear about Jesus and his love for us. Let's bow our heads to pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you love us. Help us as a church to always clearly proclaim that you love all people, that you died and rose, that all of us will be with you in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. We move to the ascension season, which remains white.
So 40 days after Jesus has uh, risen, now he returns bodily into heaven. He ascends into heaven. And what this means is that he takes his place at the right hand of the Father. And that doesn't mean that he's kind of sitting on, the dad, on his dad's hands. He is at the place of power, the right-hand man, the place of honor and glory that he deserves because he has suffered, died, and risen and accomplished what the Father has sent him to do. But he hasn't deserted us. When we remember the ascension, it's not that he's left and now we're on our own. He has promised to be with us. And he is. He still comes to us. And he still comes to us in the flesh, in his body and blood, when we come to the Lord's table. At his request, at his invitation, he is there. The Lord never deserts us. He's with us in the word of the sacrament so that we are loved by him and guided by him. And the color remains white because of the joy of his ascendancy that the Lord has taken his proper place of honor and hope. And we're also looking forward to that time when he's going to return. And so again, another joyful day within the church. Actually, the day of Pentecost. Pente means 50. 50 days after the resurrection, that's 10 days after the ascension, Jesus pours out his Holy Spirit on his disciples. This is the fulfillment of a promise that Jesus had given, that he would send his helper. In fact, he tells the disciples not to leave Jerusalem until they receive the fulfillment of this promise. And here we use the color red. Blood reminds us of the gift of the Holy Spirit, reminds us of the tongues of fire that appeared upon the disciples as the Holy Spirit is poured out upon their hearts. Jesus has promised that, given that promise to the disciples, but he's given that same promise to us. As he poured it out on the disciples, he enabled them to proclaim the wonderful, mighty acts of God to the people there so that they could hear it in the language that they knew. They spoke in different languages so that everyone themselves could hear the wonderful news of life and salvation. And isn't this a picture of how God works? That, that God offers his spirit upon all. That same spirit that was poured out upon the disciples has been given to you and to me. We have heard the wonderful news of God's mighty acts. And the work of the Holy Spirit enables us to not only hear this news, but trust that news. Trust that news that indeed he has done this for us that we have indeed are, uh, been brought that salvation. We rely upon that gift of the Holy Spirit. And at the same time, we remember, it's not a one-time shot, it's not a one-time gift. That Holy Spirit is available to us every time we hear the Word of God, every time we come forward for the sacrament. Christ is there and the Holy Spirit is there. He continues to not only give us our faith, but strengthen our faith so that we may trust in Him at all times. This is the beginning of the second half of the church year. We've gone through the festival season. We've gone and traced Jesus' life from the promise of his coming to his birth, to his revelation, to his suffering, to his death, to his resurrection, to his ascension. Now it's the second half of the church year that focuses on the church. And the first Sunday of this season is a Sunday dedicated to the teaching from the Bible. And going to the, the, the church weeks, we see that Going from on to the from the church season, we have a Sunday dedicated to a teaching. Appropriate that we focus on this teaching of the Trinity. We celebrate the revelation that God has made, that He has revealed Himself as one God, but three persons. The tri meaning three, unus meaning one, triune. And the color of God draws us upon the purity of God draws us to use the white. 
Again, the purity and holiness of God is reflected in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we normally identify the Father as the Creator, the Son as the Redeemer, the Holy Spirit as the Sanctifier. But on this day, we are reminded that the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is at work together with one mission, to bring life and salvation to people, to you and to me. As I mentioned with the introduction to Trinity Sunday, the last part of the church year is devoted to the church. The, the green reflects growth this time, not an understanding of Christ, but our understanding of our role within God's kingdom. We grow in understanding who we are as children of God. And through this season, we hear the teaching of Jesus and the apostles. We actually hear it in consecutive readings through books of the gospel or books from Paul or from Peter or others. And they really instruct us on our Christian life, how we are to live, how we are to respond to a God who loves us, who died for us and rose for us. And so the second half of the church year is a response to the first half, knowing who Jesus is and what he has done. Now we look for how is it that we may live out that life and respond in love toward God and in love toward one another. And we grow in that understanding as we listen to God and his word. Throughout the year, there are specific days that are set aside to remember and recall saints. This is done to remember and recall and celebrate what God does through his faithful people. There are days to remember saints from the scripture, such as Matthew and John. But there are also days set aside to remember those saints from history, like Polycarp and Athanasius. There are even days to commemorate the saints, even in our Lutheran heritage, like Melanchthon and C.F.W. Walther. All of these are not celebrations of men, but celebrations of God. And our reminder that God uses normal people like you and me for the continuing of his kingdom. And we're reminded of our place in that. And each of these individual days is, uses the color red. It reminds us clearly the work of the Holy Spirit, reminding us of Pentecost, that, that all of these saints are saints because of the gift of the Holy Spirit but also serves as a reminder that, that many of these saints that we celebrate were martyrs that, that spilled their blood in honor of the Lord in confessing faith and in not renouncing their love for the Lord. But all these saints' days throughout the year really culminate in All Saints' Day itself. This is a day in which we gather, and it's white for that day, but we gather and give thanks for those who have gone before us. It's a day to give thanks for those who have made an impact in our lives in the way that God has brought us to faith. But it's also a day to remember that each and every one of us is a saint. We have been made holy by the blood of Christ and by the faith that he has given to us. But the final thing that it recalls is a reminder that all of us, every one of us, is invited to that wonderful celebration of eternity that we, with all the saints who have gone before us in scripture and history or that we've known, are going to gather together in the faiths of the Lamb and celebrate forever the life, love, and salvation that God has given to us.